Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Merry Christmas to you and welcome. Uh, my name is Jamie Borchick. I'm one of the uh, teaching pastors here and it's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Uh, in our house Bibles, those blue ones, it's page 567. And uh, page 567, if you don't have one of those, um, take it with you today. That's our gift to you. Merry Christmas. Um, all right, so back in September, I stood up on this stage and I did my best impersonation of the Apostle Paul as we kicked off this series uh, called Stay the Course in the Book of Galatians. And this morning, um, i got to be honest with you that as we wrap up the series, I'm not going to be impersonating anyone. So that might be good news or bad news for you, depending on how you look at it, but you just got me today, all right? So uh, that weekend, back in September, we introduced this series, and it was actually the week before the Chicago Marathon. Any of y'all run that race this year? We run the Chicago Marathon? Okay, a couple, couple people, way to go. Uh, one lone champion here. Great job. Uh, the rest of us are not that awesome. But uh, personally, I have never run a full marathon. But back in the day, I did run a half marathon. It was about 10 years ago now, uh, back uh, when I was much younger than I am now. And I, I ran this race, and I, I remember uh, getting to the starting line, and I had really no idea what I was doing. Y'all, like I, I didn't, I trained, uh, but I had no coaching. I, I was not a distance runner. And so I go and I run this race and I started off feeling awesome. Because when, when you start the race, you're surrounded by all these people who are cheering you on. And it's like, yeah, this is great. And so I go out and I'm way ahead of my goal pace. I'm cruising. I see these people I know up ahead of me. And I'm like, I got you. And I just <laughs> chase them down, blow past them. Like, see you at the finish line, y'all. And uh, I get out and I'm like, get out. it was an out and back race. And the out was a little farther than the back. And I get to the out part about nine miles out, and uh, I hit what they call a wall. Uh, Y'all ever hit one of those? Um, You see these walls around us here? A wall, when you're running, is like trying to run through one of those things. It doesn't go so well for you. You hit it, and uh, you just want to quit. You just don't have anything left. Your body is spent. you got no energy left, and you just want to stop and go home and say, I'm done with this thing. So I hit this wall, and I wanted to quit. You ever been there before in your spiritual life? Or, or other parts of your life. You ever hit a wall where you just want to quit and go home? You know, the reason that Paul wrote the book of Galatians was because that's what was happening with his friends in Galatia. They were facing opposition from false teachers. They were facing some tough stuff coming their way. And because of it, they, just were, they were thinking about quitting and going home, packing up and calling it a day. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Christians there in Galatia to stay the course, to run through the wall, to keep going in the race. You know, the reality of the Christian life, both for the first century Galatians and for the 21st century Chicagoans, is that the race of faith is not easy. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And sometimes, inevitably, as you go through the race, there are things that come in all of our lives that make us grow weary and just want to quit. And so today, in the final paragraphs of this letter, in the final paragraphs of this letter, We see Paul give this final exhortation to run through the wall, to keep going, and to stay the course all the way through to the end. So would you read it with me? Galatians 6, 6 through 18. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. 
For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, as we open your word today, I pray that you'd speak to us. Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in this text? Teach us today, God. Stir our hearts with worship for you, with understanding of who you are. Uh, prepare our hearts as we uh, enter, as, as we approach Christmas. Use this text even to prepare us better for that and make us people who will stay the course over the long haul. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we walk through these final verses of Galatians, we're going to see three things to help us stay the course. We're going to see a practice, a principle, and a rule. A practice, a principle, and a rule. So first, the practice. Look at verse 6. And I'm going to be relatively brief here, but this verse is important, so we need to touch on it. It says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So here's what this means. Uh, Christmas is on Tuesday, and y'all are going to be getting some good things under the tree. And you got someone up here who's teaching the word, and so I, I got some expectations, y'all. Come on. Uh, obviously, I'm kidding. You can give all your, all your good things to Jason. Um, I'll just take cash or Venmo, all right? Just playing. But uh, seriously, what this verse is saying is that the church should generously support those who teach the word. And the reason for this is not so that pastors can just line their pockets and get rich off of it. The reason is so that God's word can be taught well and the church can experience the benefits of rightly understanding the word. So the way this works is that the people in the church give generously. So that those whom God has called to teach the word can devote the time necessary to do the hard work of studying the word deeply in order to teach it faithfully and with excellence so that the people can then understand it. And when that happens in the congregation, the church as a whole, it grows in its overall understanding and maturity and it's better able to stay the course over the long haul. Faithful Bible teaching is essential to Christian growth. We've all experienced that in our lives. And so the church needs to generously support those who labor in that work. And on this note, I want to say two things. First, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. You all as a church, you give super generously so that, that we can be freed up to study and preach and teach. And, and it's not just money. Like you're super generous with all sorts of other good things too. You share your time, your cooking skills, your building expertise, your legal and medical skills, your babysitting. Um, for, for example, on Friday, uh, my wife, Kinsey, got super sick a couple days this week. And so I knew I was preaching on, on, on Sunday. And on Friday morning, Aaron Mackimer just watched Jet for us for a few hours so that I could do sermon prep. 
Like she shared that good thing with us so that, so that I could be prepared for today. Like you all seriously do a great job of this, of sharing good things with us as pastors and leaders at the church. And so on behalf of myself and Jason and all the other pastors and elders at Park, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that so well. And the second thing that I need to say is that the work of teaching in the church, it, it includes what I'm doing up here today. It includes this, but it actually goes way beyond that. And the people who are most likely to have the most significant impact on your life and the life of your family over the long haul, it's generally not those of us who stand up here on Sundays. You might learn some stuff from us. The teaching might be helpful. But the people who are really going to impact you over the long haul, they're the people who lead your small groups and the people who are investing in your kids down the hall right now. People are teaching them. And those of us who get up here every week, like we get plenty of love from you. You, you recognize us and we get that. But so often it's those people who do the less noticed teaching who really deserve a lot more love than they get. And so people like Kim Maffin, who's just doing an awesome job with our kids and youth stuff, right? People like your small group leader. You know, your small group leader doesn't get paid to do anything that they do. But week in and week out, they pray for you and they study the scriptures and they teach as best they can so they can invest in you and help you to grow. People like the volunteers down in your kid's classroom right now who every week open up the Bible with your kids, who hold your infants in their arms and pray for them during the service. Right? Like those folks, they need to get some love. And so with Christmas coming up in just a few days, let me just use this as an opportunity to encourage you to share some of your good things with them too. I know some of y'all are broke. So what you can do is just write them a note to say thank you. That would be awesome. But some of y'all aren't broke. And so show some of those people, think about ways that you can creatively show some love to those who do the work of teaching across the church. Some of the people who don't get noticed all the time. All right, we want to invest in them well so that over the long haul, they will stay the course and we as a church can continue to reap the benefits of their investment in us. All right, so that's the practice. Share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay? Second thing in this text, the principle. Look at verse 7. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, because we're city folks here, I need to define some terms for us. All right? Sowing and reaping are agricultural terms. Anybody remember farms? Do we, we know what those are? All right. Well, I didn't know much about farms before I met my wife, but Kinsey actually grew up on a farm in Indiana. And so I, uh, I fell in love with the farmer's daughter, which means that my life is literally a country song. And over the last 10 years since we started dating, I've learned quite a lot about farming. Uh, Kinsey's dad is a fifth-generation farmer who has farmed the same land. The same land has been in his family for over 200 years, which in American terms is a really long time. Um, they've been on the same property forever. And during that time, a whole lot of changes have happened in farming. So 200 years ago, you might have had a horse and a plow that would farm a couple acres. Like that's what you could cover. But today, as Kinsey's dad farms, he's got tractors and combines and all sorts of high-tech equipment that farms thousands of acres at the same time. I've been so blown away by how high-tech his whole operation is. In fact, he's got several patents on his office wall from all the implements and instruments that he's invented that other companies then manufactured. It's a super high-tech operation. And so a lot of things have changed over the last 200 years in farming. But there's one thing that has not changed. And it's one thing that has never changed in the whole history of farming. And it's this principle 
of reaping and sowing. In the whole history of farming, that principle has stayed the same. You reap reap what you sow. That's how it works. And that's why Paul says here, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This is a universal, unchanging principle. It's not something that you can get away from or escape. It's the way that God designed the world to work. So 10,000 years ago, you reaped what you sowed. And 10,000 years from now, if the Lord tarries, you will still reap what you sow. What you put into the ground is what will come out of the ground later. That's how it works. That's the principle. And in verse 8, Paul takes this principle from agriculture and he applies it to our lives. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh, the one who plants seeds in his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption will be his harvest. That's what he'll get. But on the contrast... The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So you notice the parallel here, the contrasting here. Flesh, corruption. Spirit, life. So let's think about each side of that parallel for a minute. Corruption is the polar opposite of eternal life. It's actually a word that's better translated destruction. So the first side of this parallel is saying that if you plant seeds in your flesh... If you consistently indulge your sinful nature, if you just practice license like we've talked about a few weeks ago, if you do that, then ultimately you're going to reap destruction in this life and in the next. Let me give you a personal example of how this played out in my own life. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable on this, but back in my teens and my early 20s, I sowed a lot of seeds to my flesh, particularly in the area of sexual impurity. I started looking at porn at a young age and I I would indulge in sexual fantasies in my mind and I would just think about this stuff all the time. And what happened over time as I kept sowing those seeds was that it got to the point where um, my mind was corrupted to where I couldn't not think about it anymore. I'd planted so many seeds of impurity that it affected the way that I thought about everything in life. And it affected the way that I related to other people to where I couldn't honestly have healthy, normal relationships with female friends. It was just always on my mind. I sowed those seeds of impurity and it bore the fruit of destruction and corruption. And I trembled to think where that would have gone had that trajectory continued over the long haul. Those seeds bore some ugly, corrupted fruit. That's how it worked in my life. And for us, every time you let your eyes linger a little too long on that image, every time you visit that website that you know you shouldn't, every time you go to that place where you know you'll meet that particular temptation, what you're doing is you're sowing to your flesh. Every time you let your mind hold on to a grudge, or you angrily rehash that argument over and over again, or you bitterly dwell on the way that person wronged you, what you're doing is you're sowing to your flesh. Every time you stay up late at night watching Netflix or or checking social media when you should be getting to bed, every time you hit the snooze button over and over again so that you sleep in in the morning and you sleep through your devotional time, and you skip whatever time you would be investing in your relationship with God, every time you do that, you're sowing to your flesh. Those habits will not produce fruit. They won't produce good fruit. 
they'll only ultimately produce corruption and destruction. That's where sowing to the flesh goes. But there's a flip side to this parallel. And if instead, instead of planting seeds in your flesh, instead you plant seeds in the spirit, if instead you walk by the spirit consistently and you fuel your spiritual life, if you invest over here, you'll ultimately reap eternal life. So every time you bounce your eyes away from that image, every time you close that website, Every time you say no to that temptation, you're sowing to the Spirit. Every time you forgive the person who wronged you, every time you pursue that person to reconcile, every time you confess when you're wrong, you're sowing to the Spirit. Every time you memorize scripture that helps you to fight the good fight, every time you rise early in the morning to spend God, time with God, to seek Him in prayer, every time you courageously speak the gospel to a friend, Every time you rise early on and you get up and you get after it, every time you turn away from pornography and you gaze instead at the beauty of God in the Bible, what you're doing is you're sowing to the Spirit. And those habits, they will produce fruit both now and for eternity. And this principle of reaping and sowing, it's not just limited to your personal life. It's a community thing too. Look at what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. He talks about doing good to others. And the point is that we don't just plant these good seeds in our own lives. We do it in the community all around us. There's a special emphasis on the household of faith right here in the community of faith. That's where it starts. It starts in the home. It starts in the family. But from there it extends out into everybody else in the whole community around us. And Christians are to be people who sow those seeds of doing good all around them in the world. You know, in our secular age, Christians don't always have the best reputation in the community. We aren't always seen as those who do good. And for many who are outside the faith, one of the major objections they have to Christianity has actually been the historical record of Christians on this front. They look at things like the Crusades or the way that Southern Christians supported slavery or the way that evangelicals voted in the last election or any number of current clergy sex scandals. They look at those things and they say there's no way that Christianity can be true if people do those kind of bad things. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you don't believe because you've looked at Christians and, and you haven't seen fruit that you would consider good fruit. And I just want to say here that uh, your concerns are totally valid. There have absolutely been really ugly chapters in the story of Christian history. Christians have been guilty of racism, sexism, classism, tribalism, and all kinds of other bigotries. We've done some really ugly things and we've sown some really ugly seeds in the world. That has happened. But what I want to point you to is the command here in this passage. The command is to do good to everyone. You know who everyone includes? Everyone. Everyone. Regardless of race, class, sex, tribe, whatever, Christians are to be people who do good and do it to everyone. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves no matter who our neighbors are. And so when Christians are guilty of doing ugly things, it's not because there's something wrong with Christianity. It's, be, it's actually because Christians are not being sufficiently Christian. And so if you're here and you find the record of Christians off-putting, I'll say to you what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said to, the, to his white brothers and sisters during the Civil Rights Movement as he watched them stand on the sidelines doing ugly things. 
What he said to them was not, hey, your Christianity is the problem and you got to get rid of it. He actually said, your Christianity is the solution and you need to put it on more fully. You need to be more of what God has called you to be. Don't get rid of Christianity, but put it all the way on. Live up to what God has called you to. Do good to everyone because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And so as you evaluate this Christian thing, let me just urge you to look beyond some of the failings of God's people and look instead to the very source itself and see what you find there. Look at commands like what we're talking about today. Look at the beauty of who God is and what he calls his people to be. And for those of us who are believers in Christ, I want you to notice the language at the start of verse 10. It says, as we have opportunity. You know, God puts opportunities to do good like this in front of us all day, every day in the form of the people all around us. From the moment that you walk out of your bedroom door in the morning, you are surrounded by people who you can do good to. God puts opportunities in front of you all day long. And so let's take advantage of those opportunities. Give to someone in need. Lend a helping hand. Be a shoulder to cry on. Carry a heavy burden for someone. Share the good news of the gospel. All day long, you have opportunity to do good. And whenever you do, you're planting those good seeds that will someday bear fruit. Because you still reap what you sow. And we as a community of faith, we will reap what we sow in the community around us. So let's plant those good seeds. Now look at verse 9. Because verse 9 gives us some important perspective that helps us set right expectations as we apply this principle. Paul writes, Let us not grow weary of doing good. And the reason that Paul has to write this here is because the reality is, is that we do grow weary of doing good. We hit these walls in our spiritual lives where it just seems like all the seeds we're planting aren't producing any kind of fruit. You forgive, but there's no peace or reconciliation. You try and try and try to stop looking at pornography, but you just can't seem to quit. You still, you, you do good to your neighbor, but your neighbor still doesn't like you. You pray for your friend or your child to know and love God, but they, they seemed hardened by the gospel. You seek God, but he just seems distant. It's so easy sometimes to grow weary in the race of the Christian, fi- Christian life. But Paul says here, don't grow weary. And the reason why, is he says is for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And this is where I've learned a lot from watching my father-in-law as a farmer over the last several years. You know, when he farms, every spring, he goes out in the field and he throws millions of seeds into the ground, over thousands of acres. And you know, if you go back to that field a week after he planted it or two weeks after he planted it, you know what you see? You see dirt. You see nothing. It looks exactly the same as it did the day before he planted anything. You see nothing. And if you look at that field over the next several months as you watch from day to day, even after the seed pops out of the ground and you see something green, from day to day, you know what it looks like? The same as it did yesterday. And you know what it's going to look like tomorrow? The same as it did yesterday. You're going to see nothing really happening day to day. And between the time that he puts the seed in the ground in the spring and he harvests it in the fall, by the time that it's fully mature, 
You know what happens to that seed in the ground over that whole span of time? There are days where, where the rain pelts the ground. It blisters the ground. There are other days where the wind uh, streaks through and it blows with fury and it threatens to rip those little plants up out of the ground. And there are other days where the sun just blazes down with a fury and there's no water for that plant to drink. There are all kinds of weather and storms and droughts and seasons that come through during the span where that little seed is growing. And it's not until after all that stuff happens That the plant is mature and ready to harvest. The harvest comes after those seasons pass. But the harvest comes. And the same principle holds with all the seeds that we plant in life. When we sow seeds of faith, seeds of the spirit, seeds of the gospel, those seeds will produce fruit. The harvest will come. It may come later than we want. And it may come after a lot of difficult seasons. But the harvest will come. And so keep sowing. Keep planting those good seeds. You know, I look back on decisions that I made. I've been uh, planting good seeds for for a long enough time now that, that I have enough distance that I can see some of the fruit now. And I look back on uh, decisions I made back when I was 10, 15 years ago, when I started planting those good seeds. And and I see the way that God has produced fruit in my life. And I I look particularly at the area I was talking about earlier, this sexual impurity. I made decisions back then that I was going to start sowing seeds of purity in my life. I was going to start seeking God. I was going to start fighting that battle. I was going to start memorizing scripture. I was going to start doing those things. And I stand before you today, and despite everything I told you earlier, it's been over 10 years now since I last looked at pornography. And and when I look at my wife today, I can look her in the eye and I can have confidence that she knows I'm not looking anywhere else. When I look at my two precious little boys, and I seek to raise them to be godly men of integrity and character, I can look at them and with integrity, I can walk alongside them and I can coach them to walk in purity and to love women well. Right? That's the fruit. That's the harvest of seeds of purity that were planted 10, 15 years ago. And it wasn't always easy. It hasn't been easy, but I'm, I'm seeing the harvest now. And it's just a foretaste of the glory that is to come. So keep planting those good seeds. You will see a harvest. Keep going. That's why we stay the course. That's why we keep sowing. So don't grow weary, but keep going, knowing that the harvest comes. All right, so we've seen the the practice and the principle that we need to remember in order to stay the course. And and third and finally, we're going to finish by looking at the rule. And this is where Paul brings the whole letter to a close. This is the crescendo at the end of the great symphony. Verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now Paul, as he wrote his letters, he he usually used a scribe to write them for him. So he would dictate and someone else would, would write for him. But right here at the end of this letter, what Paul does is he grabs the pen away from his scribe and he starts writing in all caps, pressing real hard on the page. 
He wants to make sure he's got our attention. He wants his readers to know just how serious he is about what he's going to say here. And he makes his final point by contrasting two different boasts. To boast means to glory in, to to take pride in something, to to brag about something. It's like what you do when you put put together a resume for a job application. Y'all know how this works, right? Like when you put together a resume, what you do is you highlight all the best things about yourself. You want to make yourself look really good so the employer, the potential employer knows just how amazing you are and will hopefully give you a job. All right, that's how it works with a resume. Now you do it in a way that makes it look like you're not really doing that because you don't want to get caught boasting in yourself. So you try to be real subtle about it. But, but you make it sound like you are really awesome. That, that's what you do. That's how the resumes work. And, and, you, and you try to make everything sound as impressive as you think you can get away with, even if in real life it wasn't all that impressive. So like if you were flipping burgers at McDonald's, you were a chef. Right? That, that, that's how we roll with our resumes. On your resume, you boast to make yourself look good. When these final verses of the letter, after everything that Paul has said about the true gospel of Jesus alone, up and against the false teaching of his opponents, what Paul does is he basically holds up their two resumes next to each other so we can look at what each of them is boasting in. So verses 12 and 13 show his opponent's resume. Look at verse 12. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. So they want to have impressive accomplishments and look good on the outside. At the end of that verse, it says uh, they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they don't want to face any kind of opposition or pushback. They want to avoid that. And then at the end of verse 13, they want Paul's friends in Galatia to get circumcised so these false teachers can boast in their flesh too. So they want to be able to list the Galatians as people that they've influenced, as clients or customers or references that can help make them look good. Now the bottom line with Paul's opponents here is that their resume is all about them. It's all about their performance, about what they've accomplished, about who they've influenced. And what they care most about is popularity and esteem and being well-liked by the world around them. They want to be able to post their resume on Instagram and get a zillion likes on it. And if, if they get any kind of negative comments down in the little comment section, they're just going to be crushed by it. They can't handle that. They don't want any kind of opposition or pushback, and they just want to be liked. That's what they're all about. And how often are we just like that? How often do we put together our resumes for God and for the people around us where, where we boast in all the great things that we've accomplished and we minimize anything that might be offensive or distasteful so that we can be liked? Like, we, we just want to make a good showing in the flesh. Shoot, I just want to make a good showing in the flesh. I'll be honest here. Like, I want to look good to people. I want you to think I'm impressive. And I, I want to avoid opposition. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't like it when people push back on me because of my faith in Christ or because of some beliefs that I hold. I don't like that. I'm so often tempted to shy away from talking about my faith and instead to just boast in, in things that I've done that I think other people will think are impressive. Like Paul's opponents, I want to put my accolades on my resume for the world to see. But look at how radically different Paul's resume is in verse 14. He says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Y'all, there's only one thing on Paul's resume. And it's not anything that Paul has done. It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that he puts on his resume for people to see. And the one thing that Paul boasts in is the cross of Jesus' opposition, suffering, and shame. The one thing on Paul's resume is the very thing that his opponents and so many of us do everything we can to avoid. And that begs the question, why in the world, why the heck would Paul put that one thing on his resume? Well, it's because that one thing is the thing at the very center of the Christian faith, at the very center of life itself. The cross is the event toward which all of human history moved forward and after which all of human history has been shaped. The cross is the event toward which all the promises of the Old Testament pointed and on which all the writings of the New Testament reflect. That cross was the aim of Jesus' entire life and that cross made possible the salvation of the entire world. Because on the cross, as Paul put it back in Galatians 1, the perfect Son of God gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. On the cross, Jesus paid the full price for anyone to be made right with God now and forever. On the cross, Jesus made it possible for you and I and a billion other people like us to be adopted into God's family, to become his heirs, to become his children, to become part of his family forever. On the cross, Jesus did everything, everything necessary for us to experience the peace, mercy, grace, acceptance, and love of God now and always. That's why Paul puts just one thing on his resume. Because when you really embrace and receive everything that the cross provides for you, then you've got everything you need. When you've got the full acceptance and love of God, then it no longer matters what the world thinks of you. You don't need to apply for anyone else's approval because you've got God's approval. That's why Paul boasts only in one thing. That's why he puts only one thing on his resume because one thing is all he needs. And in verse 16, he takes this practice from his own life and he makes it the rule for the Christian life. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. The practice of putting just that one thing on your resume, of boasting only in the cross, it is the rule, the standard, the measuring rod for the Christian life. In other words, the only thing that God requires on your resume is one thing, the cross of Christ. And that's ultimately what the whole book of Galatians has been all about. You see, in the end, when you stand before God, if you come with a resume full of all your accomplishments and your religious activities, all the laws you've kept and the people you've helped and the things that you've done, God's going to look at it and he's going to say that is completely insufficient. Because his standard is perfection. And no matter how impressive your resume might be when you compare it to all the other resumes around you, no matter how impressive it might be, it doesn't meet that standard. There's only one person who's ever lived and had a perfect resume. And his name is Jesus. And he lived the life that you were meant to live. And he died the death that you deserve to die for your imperfect resume. And when he did it, what he did is he basically offered you a trade. He said, I'll take your imperfect resume and I'll give you my perfect resume. And when you stand before God and you bring his perfect resume, when you bring a resume that says the cross of Christ, when you hand that to God, 
He looks at you and he says, welcome home, child. Come on in. Because you've got the only thing you need. You've got the one thing you need. So here's the question. What's on your resume? What are you boasting in? As we bring our study of this letter to a close, that's the key question that you've got to answer. And if the answer is anything other than the cross of Christ, well, y'all haven't been listening over the last three months. If there's anything at all that you need to hear from the book of Galatians, it is that Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be made right with God. Through faith alone and Christ alone, you can be adopted into God's family forever. So if through this whole series you have not yet put your faith in Christ, or if you're here today for the first time and you've never put your faith in Christ, let me plead with you today. Believe in Jesus. Stop boasting in yourself and trust in him instead. Delete everything else off your resume and put the one thing in its place, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Christmas comes in two days where we celebrate the birth of Christ and how sweet it would be today to celebrate your spiritual birthday along with it. So believe in Jesus today. Become a new creation. Become a new member of God's family forever. Now let me finish by addressing those of us who are already believers in Christ here today. You know, I started off this morning telling you about the wall I hit when I was running that half marathon and just wanted to quit. Well, even though I felt terrible that day and I definitely wanted to give up and call it a day and go home, and uh, even though the finish line felt like it was forever away when I was out at the far end of the course, that day I didn't quit. I kept running, and it was pretty miserable. And a bunch of those people who I ran past and said, see at the finish line, um, they saw me at the finish line a little later. And I didn't break any records that day. But I did stay at the course, and I did finish the race. And at the end, I got to cross the finish line and I got to taste the glory on the other side. I got to get the, the medal around my neck and I got to enjoy the victory party on the other end of the finish line. It was one of the hardest things I'd ever done, but finishing the race was worth it. And the reality of the Christian life is that as you run the race of faith, there are going to be times where you hit a wall and you want to quit. You will face those seasons of storm and drought where you feel like you're just getting beat up all the time. You'll face opposition and persecution like the Apostle Paul did for the sake of following Christ. There will be walls that make you want to quit and sometimes the finish line is going to feel like it is forever away. But it's not. And this season of Advent right now, it's a season of waiting for that future finish line. We wait for Christmas Day where we celebrate the first coming of Christ and we wait in eager anticipation of his future return. And just as sure as Tuesday morning will bring the dawn of Christmas Day, so too will Christ's return bring the dawn of our future glory. That day is coming. So don't give up. Stay the course. Keep sharing the good things that God has given you. Keep sowing those good seeds. Keep doing good to everyone. And keep that one thing on your resume. And know that there is a finish line. And on the other side of it is glory. So friends, in light of all that God has done for us, and in light of all that he will do for us in the future, this Christmas and always, let's stay the course all the way to the end. Would you pray with me?
Father, I thank you so much today for the joy and privilege that it has been to study through the book of Galatians these past few months. I'm so grateful for the consistent reminders that all we need is Christ, that the only thing we need on our resume is the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are here today who have never put their faith in you. God, would you give them faith to believe today? Right now, I pray they would, they would trust in Jesus and they would delete everything else off their resume and they would boast in him alone now and forever. And I pray, God, for the rest of us, those of us who have believed, that we would be people who do uh, what Paul has talked about here. God, that we would sow great seeds in our own lives and in the world around us, and that uh, someday, God, we'd get to see the harvest, that we get to reap that harvest and, and taste the glory. Would you keep us uh, clinging to you, boasting only in you, and help us to stay the course, to stay faithful all the way through to the end, to hold fast to the word of life, to the truth, to the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas this week. Would it be a joyful celebration of all you've done for us, even as we wait for the future glory yet to be revealed. Praise in Jesus' name today.